I'm sorry, I, I'm not the youth pastor anymore, but I used to be the youth pastor. How are you guys doing tonight? There we go. There we go. Thank you. Who made it out to the Super Bowl party last week? Okay, three of you. Can I just confess something? Um, who won? <laughs> Rams? Okay, thank you, because here's the deal. So, uh, as you can see, I, I am obviously extremely knowledgeable about football. I take it very seriously to the point that I didn't even watch the game. So, anyhow, so if you did not watch the game, uh, that was me. I just want to say I'm beyond excited to be hanging out with you here tonight. If you don't know me, my name is Taylor Bronis. I'm the family pastor here at Calvary. I get to oversee our kids, youth, and young adult ministry. Um, and obviously, I'm not Nick. So, we sent Nick and Sky. They are up north on our middle school and high school winter retreat. They're doing a great job there. Uh, so, which is the, so unfortunately, you have the C team here with you tonight. But don't worry, the regular guy will be back uh, next week. But with that in mind, just for the rest of our time together, I want to talk about a topic that's, that's really been important for me uh, recently, and that's the, that's the idea of simplicity. Simplicity. And, and I've been wrestling with the fact that I think life is increasingly complex. So I don't know about you. So I'm 28 years old, uh, married. I got three kids, got a mortgage, got a car payment. Uh, life is not getting less complex. Can anyone resonate with that? Like, you're just like, wow, life got complex. Some of you are just like, no, life is fun. It's never been complex. Like, well, that's delightful for you. For the rest of us who don't live in an ivory tower, life is very complex. And I've been facing that a lot. Uh, life is complex. Uh, the world is complex. The, we're, we're obviously, we're still getting out of this, the last two-year haze of coronavirus. Life is complex. We face complex things in our world. Our politics are complex. Our, our, our just, uh, just economics are complex. And I think something that I've, that I've realized, too, is that, that faith can be complex. Faith can be complex to the point that I think the longer that we, the longer that we follow Jesus, the more complex we tend to make things. We, we, instead of making our faith simple, it's very complex. It's complicated. And with something that, something that I've experienced in my own life maybe you have as well, is that I think complexity leads to fatigue. The more complex things are, the more tiresome they are. And the more tiresome it is, the more complex it is, it leads to burnout. You burn out. Things are too complex. We live in an anxious and increasingly complex culture that, that tells us that our value is derived from what you do. What do you bring to the table? Because that's how valuable you are to society. What do you bring to the table? What can you achieve? You are what you do. That's kind of what our culture tells us. And this is something that I thought was very interesting. Tim Mowen, in an article he wrote, he said this. He said, our lives rest precariously on systems that have become so complex and we have yielded so much of it to technologies and autonomous acts that no one really totally comprehends at all. In other words, no one's driving. And if we hope to retake the wheel, we're going to have to understand intimately all the ways that we've lost control. Life can be overwhelmingly complex. If you feel that way tonight, you're not the only one. Psychologically, sociologically, people are realizing life is just too complex. And I think that some of us, if we're going to be honest, there are areas of our life that have become so complex that we are in danger of losing control of them. For you, maybe that is your faith. Maybe it has become too complex that you don't understand it. You don't understand church. You don't understand Jesus. You don't understand any of it because it just feels too complicated. So because of that tonight, I want to talk simply about how Jesus makes life simple. How Jesus makes life simple. If you have a Bible with you, hope you do. If not, that's okay. You can turn with your neighbor. Uh, but turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 6 tonight. 
Um, we're actually going to be looking at probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. It's hugely famous passage of Scripture. I, I guarantee you, you probably know it, even if you don't think you know it. You know it. But, as you probably heard, oh, great, it's going to be a sermon about prayer. Um, Instagram isn't going to check itself, so I guess I'll bust out my phone now. I've been there. I've done that during talks on prayer. Tonight is actually fundamentally not about prayer. Yes, we're going to study a prayer. This is Jesus' model prayer that he tells his disciples, hey, pray like this. We're not actually going to really be focusing on prayer all that much. Because rather than simply providing us a template for how to pray, the Lord's Prayer centers us in the midst of God's agenda. We experience that agenda through his fatherly care. And that's what this prayer shows us. And before we really get started tonight, I just want to say this. The Lord's Prayer has been so absorbed into our kind of cultural consciousness we're so familiar with it that we've actually stripped away all of its meaning. Like we just hear repeated ad nauseum. We don't necessarily know what it means anymore. So I'm asking if tonight, let's, as much as we can, try to strip away any cultural or even religious awareness that you might have of this. Let's try to approach it with fresh eyes. Because instead of being a religious ritual as we've tended to make the Lord's Prayer, it's actually, we should approach it more as a liturgy, as, as a practice that draws us into the loving arms of the Father, that we get to experience the love of our Father who's, who's in the midst of bringing his kingdom onto the earth, and, and in our day-to-day -day lives, he's promised that he's going to provide for all of our needs. That's what the Lord's Prayer shows us. So in, in, in the age of radical individualism, this prayer, I think, gives us an example of how we can express and gain, regain our sense of common need and common purpose. So if that's all right, just to do something different, let's all stand, let's all read it together since we have it on the screen. Is that okay? Can we do that? Let's all stand together. Let's do it. All right, let's read. This then, Jesus speaking, is how you should pray. Repeat after me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. As a preacher, we read the text and prayed at the same time. That's a two for one deal. You're welcome. But I believe that beyond simply providing his disciples with a template for how they are supposed to pray, Jesus is actually saying something deeply profound about how we are to see ourselves, how we're supposed to see our relationship with God and others in his kingdom. So, like, it's, it's such a simple passage, and we've, we've stripped away the meaning because we're so familiar with it, but there's something deeply profound here. And I, as such, I think that there's three things that we can walk away with, three decisions that we need to make tonight if we want to experience this simple life that Jesus is offering us. We're all craving some type of simplicity. We, we might be thinking about back when life was simpler, right? We think about, oh, I, I missed a couple years ago. It wasn't as complex back then. We're all craving simplicity. I think Jesus offers it to us. There's three decisions we have to make. Here's the first one. Accept his love. Accept his love. For some context on this prayer, this, is, this comes about right in the midpoint of Jesus' great discourse, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Early in his ministry, he's telling his earliest disciples, basically he's giving them kind of a code of conduct for how he wants his people to act in this new kingdom world. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm bringing the kingdom to earth. This is how you're supposed to act as a result. And he does a lot of things. He, he basically, he doesn't decrease the moral expectation. He actually says, hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're, if you're going to follow me, this is actually what I expect. It's more probably than what you thought you 
that you were supposed to do. But not only that, he also subverts a lot of understandings that the religious Jewish people had about faith, about their relationship to, to God's word. They, they had a lot of misinterpretations. Jesus is correcting those. He's, he's reinterpreting things in light of his kingdom. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons that, like the people who were listening, they, they had made faith complex. It was no longer a relationship. It was very religious. It was very rote. Like them, I think we're guilty of the same thing. We, one of the reasons that life is so complicated, I believe, is that because we've made our relationship with God complicated. We've complicated something that isn't that complicated. Because think of it, each, each one of us, we have some way or another of relating to God, right? You can always tell it different based on how people pray. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever, like, listened to how people pray? I mean, I've grown up in church, so maybe that's, I'm weird like that. But, like, you can always tell, like, you can always, like, it's interesting to listen how people talk to God, the tone that they take, the, the titles of address that they use when they're talking to him. Like, you hear just, like, maybe, maybe for you, you think of God, he's like, oh, he's the sovereign Lord, he's king of the universe. Maybe for you, just like, a holy God, you know, beloved father, beloved king, whatever. You can insert those titles. We've all heard them, like, sometimes they're increasingly flowery. And those are good. Those are biblical titles. Those are theologically sound ways to refer to God. But I find it interesting that when Jesus is for his disciples defining for the first time, here's how you should be relating to God, he doesn't use any of those titles. He simply says, Father. This is how you should pray, Our Father. Our Father. That's the title of out of every single title that Jesus could have ascribed to his, his Father. He tells us not to address him just like, he, he's my Father, but you're going to just like, you call him reverend master. No, he's just like our father. He's our father. And when we, and I believe this, that when we don't first approach God as father, when we approach him as something other than that, I believe that we are adding a distance to that relationship that Jesus did not want to be there. Jesus said that we can relate to God as our father, that we have that access to him if we have chosen to follow Jesus, that God is our Father, we're the ones who've wanted to complicate it, right? We've complicated that. We've added a distance to it because on some level, I think it's because we struggle to understand what it means for God to be our Father, for what, what it means for God to love us as our Father. And even when it's well-intentioned, it has the holiest of intentions, we'd like to complicate it. We add stipulations and regulations and restrictions as to, well, yes, he's your Father, but, 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 right? Yes, he's your father, but this. Or yes, he's your father, only if. Jesus simply said, our father. So what we really need to do to start out is just simply accept God's love as is. He is our father. Jesus said we're supposed to relate to God as our father. So let's try to relate to God as our father. Yes, all those other things about God are so true. But Jesus, the God man, God the son said, hey, relate to my father, call him your father too. There's something deeply profound and deeply simple, but remember the context in which Jesus is speaking these words. The pagan people, the non-Jewish people, the people who did not believe in the one God, they, would, they tended to see gods as these, these cosmic tyrants, these angry bullies who had to be appeased, and if you, they didn't normally care about what was going on in humanity, so they, they had to be kind of like badgered into it or convinced or bribed, you name it. That's how the pagan people viewed the gods, these cosmic tyrants who just like to interfere in human affairs only to manipulate people, to use humans for their own pleasure. It, it's like you can read Greek mythology. It's full of that. The Jewish people didn't have that understanding. They understood there's one God. We understand that, that he has a special relationship with us. He's chosen our nation out of everyone else. We understand that we have a covenant relationship with him. However, 
The Jewish people did not see God as their father. That was, that was not present. We know that because when we look at the Old Testament, the, the people in the Old Testament did not typically refer to God as their father. That's very uncommon. So it's very interesting that God, that Jesus, God himself, would introduce the idea of just like, well, no, call him our father. Our father. That's something that's not really present in the New Testament. Because the pastors of Jesus' day, the way they would address God was with these, these verbose, these grandiose titles and lengthy prayers. It sounded all very holy, all very spiritual. But the fact is, Jesus tells us that betrays that there's any real intimacy there. They're trying to impress God with how, how holy their prayers sound. And I think we, we, we've all been there, right? Like you've heard the people who pray, and it's like a prayer circle. It's like, hey, we have like... 10 minutes, we need to pray. And it's just like, mighty master, God, universal Lord, creator of all things. And it just goes on and on and on. And it's just like, you end up feeling insecure because it's just like, oh, when it was my turn to pray, I just said, dear God. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not as close to that. I'm not as close to God as that person because look, look at how many titles they can bust out. Like they're, they're connecting theological terms I didn't even know existed. I'm not that close to God, but what I think we can all realize is when we've been with those people, and if maybe if you've been with those people, or you are that person, a lot of times those prayers are more for the listener's benefit than they are for God's benefit. It's more to impress the people who are praying with them than it is who they're praying to. Often those, those showy prayers are more for the ears of those who are listening, and Jesus calls that out. Because he says this earlier, he says, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They like to stand on a street corner. They like everybody to know that they're praying. So he gives us something simple, our Father in heaven. But in recent decades, I think we've seen Christians also move in the opposite direction. So if you have some Christians who are guilty of being perhaps overly reverent to the point that it's just religiosity, you have people on the other side of the spectrum who they've become so informal that it's bordering on irreverent. I'm going to call some people out here. I'm going to do it. And it's, it's going to be because Nick is going to be back and you can talk to him about it, not me. Daddy God, I'm talking to my daddy God people. Stop. Just stop it. That's not what Abba Father means. It doesn't mean Daddy God. For those guilty of being irreverent in their prayers, again, if there's people who are too formal, Jesus is saying, hey, just call him Father. Just start there. Simple. But if you're guilty of being too informal and too irreverent, you forget that you're talking to the Creator our Father in heaven, you're understanding, hey, he's in heaven, I'm not. There's a, there's a positional difference here. There's an authority he has, I don't. It says, hallowed be your name, which more simply means, God, may, may people keep your name holy. May God, tr people treat your name as holy. Our Father in heaven. There's a balance to it. It's simple, but it communicates great depth about who God is. Our Father in heaven. God is not our buddy. He's not our buddy. But he's also not some angry cosmic principle who only cares about you when you're in trouble so he can yell at you or smite you. Neither of those are correct. He's our father. And we should relate to him as our father in heaven. But I realize this. I'm talking about fatherhood. For me, I have a good relationship with my dad. Thinking of fatherhood conjures good things. I realize that for some of you, that, that's not the case. When you think of father, you think of fatherhood, you think of the man who left you. You think of the man who abandoned you, the man who never had time for you, 
the man who you could never make happy, the man who maybe he hurt you, maybe he abused you. I realize that that may be part of your story. So when I'm talking about father, you're hearing all these things and you're having a hard time relating to God as father because that's what you think of. First, I just want to say, I am so sorry. Your dad is not God. Your dad is not God. If anything, I just want to share with you, this is what God says about himself, letting himself define his love for you. This is what his word says. John 6, 40, this is Jesus speaking. He says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes him shall have eternal life. The father's will for you is eternal life. John 14, 23, Jesus again, he says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. God wants to live with you. He wants a relationship with you. Maybe your father left home. God wants to be to make his home with you. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, this is a, Paul is quoting an Old Testament passage where he says, I, God speaking, will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. The first step to simplifying your life is to simplify your relationship to God. Most likely, I would bet that you've probably overcomplicated it. Either you don't know how to approach God. Maybe for you, this is all new information. Maybe you, did, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You, you, don't, he, you don't know that he's your father. You haven't entered into a relationship with him. I want to tell you that he's not the angry, you know, tyrant sitting on a mountain waiting to kill you because you haven't, you know, put your faith in Jesus. He's your father. He's pleading with you. Come home. Come home. Like that song, like, welcome home. That is the father's heart for you. And if you have not made that decision or you've fled from him, He's here. He wants to take you back. That's his heart for you. He is Abba. He's your father. And his love for you, it is unfathomable. He's the, he's the father who's going to drop anything to talk to you. He will drop anything to talk to you. He wants to hear about your day. He wants to hear what you're going through. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's not detached. God is not disappointed in you. I think a lot of us have that perception that God is somehow disappointed in us perpetually and we can never make him happy. He's not. He loves you. You're his daughter, you're his son, accept his love. Accept his love. Second decision we need to make is that we need to align with his agenda. Align with his agenda. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Have, have any of you ever ventured to the side of Instagram that's like the wannabe entrepreneur, influencer Instagram? Have you ever seen that? Just like usually it's like, Pictures of like The Rock or Tom Hardy, like dressed in suits. And there's usually some quote from like Gary Vee or Jocko Willink about like, you want to know what success looks like? Looks like waking up at 3 a.m., punching yourself in the face and getting a cold shower. Like I, I've seen that. It's like, what does that even mean? Or like the, hey, while, while you were out hanging out with your friends eating pizza, I was at home trading Bitcoin. We're not the same. Have you guys seen that? It's like, what on earth? Usually it's made by some guy who's like a first-year business major who's never owned anything, but just thinks that he's this great entrepreneur. But anyhow, I love looking at that because I think it's funny, but I think it belies the fact that our world is inundated with the narrative that to have purpose in this world, you need to bend the world to your will. You need to make something of yourself, right? Maybe you've heard that. Make, go make something of yourself. You need to make an impact on this world. You need to make a mark on this world. We've all heard it. Many, if not most of us, probably earlier in our career. Again, I'm late 20s. We're, we're newer-ish to the career world, right? There's an overwhelming pressure to, to succeed, to do well, to build something, to build a name for yourself. And it's not a new problem. 